0: Him being broken down mentally and losing his identity of David Webb becoming Jason Bourne, that's what caused such a horrible case of amnesia, forgetting who he was because his mind was so broken. And he has to, for three movies, follow this trail of breadcrumbs of his memories, connecting these dots to start remembering everything. And by the third act of this film, when he's finally at SRD in New York City, in the facility where he was originally trained in the trendstone pro in the treadstone program, that's when he finally gets all of his memories back. Hello movie friends. Welcome back to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, the ultimate film. And TV podcast, and we are capping off Born Week with an episode on the Born Ultimatum. The third film in the original Born Trilogy after they went I'm off so the glad rails. They stopped making Born movies after this. Yeah, I know, yeah. Was, they never made a single I'm, one. I'm after. so glad they did. <laughs> <laughs> this week we're really just focusing on the original trilogy with Matt Damon. Obviously, the Born Identity we did first two episodes ago, and then the Born Supremacy. We did a review on the last episode. Today, we're finishing off the trilogy with The Bourne Ultimatum. This came out in 2007, the second Bourne film directed by Paul Greengrass, who also did Supremacy. Written by Tony Gilroy, Scott Burns, and George Nolfi, based off the novels by David Ledlam. IMDb, this is the highest-rated critically movie in the Bourne franchise in general, not just the trilogy. It's an 8.0 on IMDb. Rotten Tomatoes, it is a 92% critic score. 91% 91% audience score. A budget went higher than ever from the trilogy up to $110 million estimated. And then with a box office gross of $444 million worldwide. pre Marvel, everyone. For the Born <laughs> Ultimatum. This was huge in 2007. It also won three Oscars, everything it was nominated for. It won Best Achievement in Film Editing for Christopher Rouse, Best Achievement in Sound Mixing for Scott Millen, David Parker, and Kirk Francis, and Best Achievement in Sound Editing for Pier- for Pierre Holleberg and Karen Baker Landers. Now, this was before the Academy mushed those into one category, and now it's just one category, Best Sound, but... Obviously they are very different and they won both awards. So three Oscars for this film. And you know they got the you know that editor got the award for the Tangier sequence. Oh, my that god, sequence. So good. Oh my god. It's it's still up. It's up there for all-time action sequences and you can see how films like modern James Bond films with Craig on the motorcycle and John Wick on a motorcycle are so heavily in Fast and Furious and Mission Impossible Motorcycle Chases. So inspired by, especially this Tangier sequence, which I think is just really special in the entire Bourne franchise, but in the action genre. And I love this film. It's my favorite of the Bourne trilogy. And you can see, because it's so critically loved and also loved by audiences, and 8 on IMDb is so impressive, for any film to get eight and above, it's a big deal with that many ratings. So kudos to that. I think it fully deserves all the praise it gets. It does have a, a pretty mediocre uh score on Letterboxd three point six. which is only yeah, so I, I'm with not, twelve reviews. Yeah. <laughs> seven thousand reviews, so it's pretty low on the review end on, on Letterboxd. But for me, Born Ultimatum, it's a perfect depiction of what you can do in the action genre, in the espionage genre. And it hits all of its beats perfectly. It showcases heart-stopping action, globe-trotting adventure, high-stakes conflict, a terrifically performance, excellent antagonists, and incredible set pieces. I love every aspect of this film. They built upon the the lore that they were creating. These the second two films, well, actually all of the Bourne films are very loosely adapted from the stories. The first film is the most like it. But Supremacy and Ultimatum are basically like their own stories, nothing to do with what Ludlam wrote down, except for some of like the name drops you hear there and there. So they're basically original stories from the novels. And I think that they expanded on what they created with the first two films in such an amazing way. I adore... All of these films and ultim- Ultimatum, I think, is is the peak of, of some is one of the peaks of action cinema of the modern day. I'm sorry, it's Robert Ludlum. I said David Ludlum earlier. I got mixed up with, with uh, someone else. Now a quick synopsis on the Bourne Ultimatum. Former CIA assassin Jason Bourne continues his quest to fill in his memory when a Guardian reporter stumbles on his trail. The man spies his chance to blow the black briar. Black Ops Brigade wide open with some very powerful people intent on keeping their skeletons buried. is in more danger than ever before as his former paymasters. It's in a series of elite killers after their reformed ex-colleague. Now, I remember we talked about um, the influence on this movie, on this franchise, and these, this trilogy specifically on the action genre of the 21st century and how integral it was and how many movies would not exist in their style or in general – if it wasn't for the Bourne trilogy and John Wick being one of them and how this movie is kind of like John Wick when he gets the hit put out on him and everyone's coming (laughs) after him. This is kind of like that situation where a lot of people are coming after Jason Bourne, even more than the last film, where in the last film, Supremacy, he had the CIA and Pam Landy coming after him as well as Yuri and the Russian CEO oligarch and Kiro coming after him at the same time with Abbott. So he's had people coming from all over the place. But this, this film specifically is probably the hardest journey for him to overcome in terms of what he's up against, because he's up against not only all these external threats, but also his past, his trauma, and trying to put an end to his memories in terms of finding the source of not just Treadstone, but where his identity disappeared and trying to become who he was before. Well, not become who he was, well, yeah, but, but okay. understand who he was. So yeah. the, the theme, Jason's journey and theme in this film is embracing the discovery of who he was and trying to solve the riddle of the and put the pieces together and finally put an end to the mystery. But be David Webb again, yeah, technically. The, be da- yeah, he finishes the film as David Webb, but also the overarching theme, like the other two films, like we mentioned earlier, the first film, it can be looked at as, as uh, anti-American imperialism. Second film anti-corporate malfeasance tied to the government um, and corruption in this film the third one it shows the the power of counterintelligence in and how it can be used to ill effects and especially counter sur- surveillance um, in this film showcases spe- primarily with Simon Ross's character how the government and CIA they can listen to whatever you what whatever you're saying on your phone they can doc- they can watch what you're doing on your laptop on your on your smart device, who you're talking to they can keep tabs on everything you do. And they didn't need any red tape would get in their way. They would they could just do it if they wanted. At the touch of the button, uh, if a manager says, "Hey," if a director says, "Hey," tail them, tap all their phones, listen to all their calls. What are they looking at on their computer? Follow them. This film showcased the the destructive power that it has on individuals. And if a government or a government agency should even have that power, and Dark Knight showcased that really well, where Morgan Freeman's character, Lucius Fox, doesn't want to be in control of this power that Bruce Wayne developed, the technology of surveillance, and then at the end of the film, he types in his name and destroys the computer. This is a similar um, approach to that, where should anyone have this kind of power? And we get great new characters coming in, and specifically Noah Vosin, who's now in char- in charge of Blackbriar. So Treadstone from the first film, which shot- got technically shut down by Abbott, this program's over. But let me tell you about this new hip program called Blackbriar. This isn't a, this isn't like other Treadstones. It's a, cool, a cool Treadstone. Treadstone. <laughs> it's a new version of Treadstone. It's just called Blackbriar, but it's expanded. Noah Vosen's in charge of it now. And Strathairn is great in this. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, what's, his, what's his first name? David Strathairn. David Strathairn. So he's playing Vosin in this movie who's now running Blackbriar, but Blackbriar's grown so much. It's still pretty secretive. You still need a special clearance to know what's going on. But it's become a black ops agency in the CIA, in the U.S. government. Not just hits anymore, but even expanding into more espionage, more tampering with countries. Counterintelligence, yeah and just black bagging. And so it's just mm-hmm. now it's just grown so much because this government now justifies having this program. And Vosin is a ruthless leader and will use any means necessary to, uh, to achieve whatever result he wants, whether it's taking out people who are innocent or taking out people who are barely involved in a situation. So he's he's a ruthless leader. We get Joan Allen back as Pam Landy. Julia Stiles is back as Nikki Parsons. And Pam Landy's got another huge role in this film, going back and forth with Noah Vosin as well as working with him for the first half of the movie, but then working against him in the latter half. Nikki Parsons, who comes back and helps Jason Bourne eventually. Uh, we have Scott Glenn plays Ezra Kramer, who's basically in charge of this part of the CIA at the time, I believe, the director of the CIA. Simon Ross, played by Patty Constantine, one of our favorite Targaryens, King Viserys. Excellent role in this movie. Then Albert Fish, I mean Albert <laughs> Hirsch, played by Albert Finney, who Albert Hirsch was one of the program directors of Treadstone, and is kind of, sort of like this father role to Jason Bourne in terms of where Jason Bourne was created. And also we mentor. A, yeah, yeah, we made a mistake last episode. Yeah, Brule is in this film this one as. Martin Krutz. I was got that mixed up. Marie's sister. It's I mean, I, Marie's brother. It's because I watched them in a marathon, so I, I just mixed up that he was in this one. And we, not yeah, other. we have a couple new Treadstone agents as well. The main specifically is Paz, played by Edgar Ramirez, and then uh, and then uh, Danesh played by Joey Ansah. Yeah, and he was, I believe, it's Desh. Desh, sorry, I believe he is just he was just a stunt actor but he he did a terrific job in the in the performance as well in the non-action scenes. Fit the bill of being yeah. just a really attractive guy as well. <laughs> and James' James's secret assassin bill. It's the essential. Check. Treadstone agents are all models. <laughs> Except well, for you, you need to be able to allure people, I'm sure, sometimes. <laughs> well, Matt's not like... He's a good-looking guy. He's not like a model, but like Carl Urban, Edgar Ramirez. Well, Matt, you don't think Matt's attractive enough? He's not I good said, enough for you? I just say he's an attractive guy, but he's not like a male model. He's not uh. like a... Cover guy. Man, I didn't know. Man, Matt Damon hate over here. I love Matt Damon. (laughs) (laughs) Matt Damon. And uh, Matt Damon is absolutely fantastic as Jason Bourne. It's one of the better performances in the action genre, I think, as a whole. Because he is so talented and he brings so much characterization to his performance. Jason Bourne's been through so much. And I like the embracement of his past in this film where he's deciding, I'm going to figure things out. I'm going to retrace my steps because he's being haunted by a new set of memories—the memories of the program training, of seeing this face, Albert Finney's character. Like, who is this guy, and how is he tied to my memory? But I know that he was in the—he be- was there at the beginning. So he—he's—he w- wants to finally put an end to the pu- the puzzle of his mind and figure out what exactly happened to him. Will you commit to this program, <laughs> <laughs> Albert Hirsch, who is one of the the founding members of Treadstone? but the starting point of born ultimatum is absolutely brilliant now born supremacy ends with born going to confess to nesky's daughter the murder suicide that he framed of her parents when he killed nesky in that hotel room confessing to her what he did that her life did not end that day in terms of her family being a murder suicide by her mother it was an assassination of both of them And then it ends with him talking to Pam Landy on the phone uh, probably a couple weeks later. Hey, you look tired, Pam, get some rest. Your your real name's David Webb. Now, the opening of Bourne Ultimatum is brilliant. It's a very fast-paced opening because it takes place immediately after Bourne left Neskys daughter's apartment in Moscow and his escape from Moscow. We can assume he got flagged or picked up by by a police officer somewhere recognized, and he's on the run again. So I love how we open up mid-chase. We don't have to have him be seen by police to start the movie. They did that in John Wick 3. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> born <with> made in three. <laughs> born born three. So it's already mid-chase. Mid foot chase, mid-car mid chase. Absolutely incredible opening. He's already he's got the same wound. He's still covered in blood in his left arm. Same outfit from the entire Moscow. It's foot chase and car chase that he had with Kirill, Carl Urban's character, Russian agent in that film. So I love the opening Going right into this intense starting point. And I also love the inclusion of a journalist as a character in this film with Patty Constantine's Patty Constantine's Simon Ross character who's investigating Treadstone. Nice fix, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> I got in trouble last time. It's not Constantine. Constantine. <laughs> oh my god, I got so much flack for that one. But I, I love uh, I love Simon Ross's character because he's uncovering this dirty secret of Treadstone in, C- in the CIA history. And he also has this kind of a, a leak informant who's giving some access to what's going on and tells him about Jason Bourne. And then he pub- he actually writes in this new newspaper, publishes an article about Jason Bourne and about Treadstone. And I love how Jason's like reading about himself from the paper. And that makes him want to go after this journalist and see what does he know? And can I find any more information from him? So it's a great catalyst for Jason to continue his story. It's not just like, I like how they weren't like, oh, let's have uh, the CIA just finds him again and tries to kill him and then he'll go after them. They had a really great idea for how to get Jason back into the action and make him motivated to get back into tracing his steps and figuring out what's going on in the CIA. So we have the journalist as the catalyst for it. And even though Jason's still kind of off the grid, they don't know where he is. It show They show early on with Ezra Kramer, the head of the CIA, six weeks later after the opening, What's Jason Bourne after? Where is he? He still sees him as a threat. Pam Landy doesn't see him as a threat. And Pam Landy's going to keep her cards close to her chest in terms of not revealing her full hand of what she's got up her sleeve and her motivations of getting answers to not just what Blackbriar is, what Treadstone is, but also what Jason Bourne's involvement with everything is. We also have one of the scariest things I've seen in a movie in a while. And then when you watch it, This movie being made in 2007, and imagine what the government surveillance is like now, where Simon Ross is on the phone with the source for this entire story of Jason Bourne, Neil Daniels. He doesn't know who he is yet. We we don't know who he is yet. All Simon Ross says is Operation Blackbriar, and the CIA... Listening clearly to every single phone on the planet, apparently, that it has access to just keyword picks up on Operation Blackbriar. This gives Noah Zvosin the right and the motivation to now trail and track every movement of Simon Ross because they heard these keywords spoken by him. And this was on a cell phone, not a smartphone. Imagine what's going on today. Yeah, it's it, and that's one of the reasons why. The film works. And because Paul Greengrass and Matt Damon, I've, I remember reading an interview with them after Supremacy, or no, after this film, and they said that they would only do another one if they could figure out another reason to do it, because the reason for making Ultimatum was to really showcase the destructive and really troubling power that they had in terms of the technology they had at their at the, their disposal to oversee and look into everyone's lives if they wanted to. They felt that it was compelling to put into a film like this to get it noticed by you you have the ability to show this to millions of people and get them aware of something like this that's going on. So that's it's actually a main motivation for them wanting to make the movie. And Jason he his motivation in this movie is to get more answers for his past. Like I said, kind of put all the puzzle pieces back into his memory and the only way he can he can do that is to find the source. He tells Marie's brother after he tells him that she's dead that I'm going to find him and I'm going to kill him. Just kidding. That's Colin Sullivan from The Departed. <laughs> but he's basically, I'm going to find the source and I'm going to put an end to it. So it's the only way that Jason will be able to live peacefully on with the rest of his life is if he can put an end to Treadstone or Blackbriar or whatever it is. And that's when he also stumbles upon the article that Simon Ross wrote about him and comes into contact with Simon Ross. And we have the absolutely sensational sequence at Waterloo train oh my station God, so with good. Jason Bourne and Simon Ross while... Noah, Vosen, and the CIA are tracking and have targets eventually on both of them. What's really cool about both the Waterloo Station sequence and the Tangier sequence is both of those locations are like the most heavily crowded areas of those cities, Waterloo especially, but the production was unable to shut down both locations. So a lot of the people you see in the background of these shots, both in Tangiers, on those streets and especially those big crowded alleyways, And in Waterloo Station, they're real people. And um, most of them are not extras because Tangier was too crowded and the flow of people was too hard to control. Hence, Julia Stiles and Matt Damon were were really like pushing themselves through that crowd, especially in that kind of narrow alleyway. And then in, in Waterloo Station... A lot of people, if you look closely in the background on a rewatch, are looking and will point to the camera sometimes because they didn't—they were just filming with normal people at this train station. But it works because they can just be pointing at the people who are running, yeah, exactly. or dash yeah, this like yeah. six-foot-four guy on a boat, on a motorcycle. Mm-hmm. So it works, and I love the Waterloo Station sequence. It's it's preceded by well before great that ha- music yeah. too. But before that happens, obviously John Powell did this as yeah. well. Uh, Simon Ross meets with the source, who is Neil uh, Neil Daniels. Daniels he's gonna tell him like eventually all the information eventually. But then obviously Jason Bourne contacts Simon Ross tells him to meet me at Waterloo Station finds out quickly that he's under surveillance, and so he cleverly gets that prepaid phone at the train station, slips it into, into Simon Ross's pocket, and then it's a great like eight-minute sequence of Jason Bourne navigating Simon Ross effectively through all of the agents and cameras and surveillance of Waterloo Station that are trying to track Simon Ross. He guides him safely through it all until he eventually has to start taking people out and then gets picked up on that security camera in that, in that back room and we have that classic line from noah vosen where he says my god that's jason Bourne! jesus christ, christ. get it right man jesus christ <laughs> jesus that's christ, christ jason Bourne. <laughs> i ruined it oh, i blew <laughs> it you i saw you I, blew it. I saw you hold back a smile because you were looking forward to i was waiting it. <laughs> uh, this waterloo station sequence this is the other reason why it won the oscar for editing because it's, it's so complex there's a lot of moving parts there's so much footage in this sequence that they got, whether it be the CIA analyst team, whether it be the actual assets on the site, Jason and Simon Ross, and then also various shots of Waterloo Station. And Paz. In, in and, the, and Paz. The, in entering, yeah, Paz getting to his vantage point. There is so much going on in the sequence. But the editing is really seamless and perfectly done. You never feel overwhelmed. You feel like you know exactly where everyone is, and you don't feel like it's over edited or too quickly edited. So, this is just masterful editing worth and, and cinematography as well. Blocking. It's a very complicated area to shoot the sequence, I can only imagine. But they pulled it off really well. It's a remarkable piece of an act, a rem- remarkable action sequence. And so it'd be important for. Jason Bourne to get Simon out of the situation safely because it's someone he could trust with his story. But Simon has no idea what he got himself into. Of course, he's a journalist. He's trying to tell a great story as well as uncovering the truth, this great mystery of espionage, conspiracies. He's trying to find answers to this puzzle of who is Jason Bourne? How does he connect with all these situations that have been going on around the world? Why was his girlfriend killed all the way in Goya, India? Why are they still tracking this guy? And if Jason can get him out of this situation safely, he'd be a valuable asset to him because, of course, he still has Pam Landy in his back pocket, but he can't just upright contact Pam Landy whenever he wants. This would be really helpful for him, especially from the investigative standpoint because he's trying to find answers as well, and he wants to find out who Simon Ross's sources that's why he's here with Simon trying to get him safely out of the situation so he can find Simon's source and talk to him and then Simon's like I, you know I can't give up my source and he's like you you know these You're people gonna die. these people will kill you this isn't a game he's like bro come on <laughs> <laughs> but the sequence is incredible and after they have that situation where he takes off the guys in the back and they ca- catch him on camera. I love how in control Jason is, and then Simon is always panicking, yeah. and, and he's like, he messes up his line, and then he, then he's seen by the analysts um, watching. It's just terrific how Bourne knows exactly what to do and even though he knows that, it's, he can't control Simon Ross in his own fear. And I love when he sees the security camera and he's like, Oh, nothing I can do now except look right into it yeah, and yeah. scare the hell out of these people. Dude, that when he takes those three guys out, oh my God, it's so sick. I and love then, it. And then, so that's only half the journey. He has to get Simon out of here. And now they're going to know that Jason Bourne's here. They're going to up the ante in terms of the surveillance at this station. But they lost track of both Jason. Well, they lost track of Simon Ross. So Jason has to get him out of here safely in this crowded environment and as long as simon sticks to everything jason says he would get out of there and so before he even comes to that door si- simon panics he thinks that someone else is there he's like i hear someone coming and so he panics and leaves the room at the wrong time when paz is ready to snipe he's got his, his uh scope scope, set yeah. on that window of that door take simon ross out immediately because Simon panicked, he didn't listen to Jason, and all Jason can do is grab whatever's on his persons and take it with them and get out of there ASAP. It's really terrific because Jason goes out into the station first to make sure that like, their area is good for them to leave and exit, and he j- is, he has that instinct again, that that born spider sense where he knows something's off because they aren't being sworn by CIA agents, so there, there must be a reason for that. And then he, he, he catches a glimpse a, a, like a glimmer of a reflection on Paz's scope behind that rotating billboard. But he wasn't sure he saw something, but he just knows something's off. When those cameras turn, man, yeah. it's so good. Yeah, he, <laughs> so he knew that it wasn't right, In but Simon just panicked because he's not he's not a trained assassin. He can't handle situations like this. But he's got a lead, so he yeah. heads to Neil D- Daniel's apartment, breaks in, and this is where we get a convergence of Noah Vosen's operation with pan landy who's now kind of quarterbacking the logistics and you see a great uh difference between the way Pam landy commands an operation versus noah vosen pam is so much more in control in terms of making the right decisions She's like a surgical practitioner of making all the correct calls and what to do, whereas Noah is just like a hammer. He just wants to bludgeon somebody. He doesn't care how much blood he spills. He doesn't care about collateral damage. He doesn't think twice about it, whereas Pamela Landy wants every operation to be as clean and safe as possible. So it's terrific to see these very contrasting characters in very similar positions of power and operations, but the way they approach their work is completely different. And the Neil Daniels apartment's really important as well because... Jason's trying to find answers. That's why he's going there. And also... That's where Vosin's sending his men to find Daniels because that's where they got the lead in the evidence in Simon Ross's room. They found the initials ND correspondent to Neil Daniels. Like Pam's the one who's like figured out, first of all, Vosin's trying to find like every phone that was on during this operation and that we have access to in the CIA. And Pam's like, you idiot. Just look for the phones that are turned off. You're going to, that's the only way to figure it out. So yeah. she knows how to track down who the initials would I- eventually lead to Neil Daniels born gets there for first takes out the men there really cleverly but then that's where he links up with nikki by accident she immediately takes his side and lies for him on the phone when she's calling in her sign whether she's under distress or safe and immediately starts to like help him figure things out and pamela knows that he's there and that she lied for him whereas v- vos Probably doesn't think Bourne's in that room with her. But I think Pamela for sure knew because she sent that message. She sent him a code thinking that Bourne was in the room with Nikki. Yeah, and Vosen's like, backup will be there in one hour. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Backup will be there in 26 hours. (laughs) Hang tight, Nikki. And this is where we get a little backstory and some exposition of the past between Nikki Parsons and Jason Bourne, which I brought last episode, and I think in the first one we were talking about Jason Bourne supremacy and then Bourne identity. I think this felt a little forced for me, bringing an ambiguous relationship from Nikki up to Jason Bourne. I feel like it could have done without it. I think the studio and the screenwriters probably wanted to bring uh, an emotional connection to Jason Bourne for the character, for the audience to connect and empathize with him more versus having that with Marie in the first two films. I get why they did it. I thought it was forced compared to their interactions in the first two movies. But at, at least they didn't make it a romance. Yes. At least they didn't make it another intimacy. It wouldn't make sense for Jason at this point in, in his story to uh, have another romance. So I at least they didn't do that. But I, And I do like them on the run together. Yeah. I like the the hotel scene where they have, he does the same thing with... Nikki, they did with Marie, dyeing her hair and cutting it short. It's reminiscent, yeah. It, it's very similar yeah. to that sequence where he had it with Marie. And they did it on purpose. Like, where he's looking at her and it's reminding him of of when he dyed her hair back in Paris. And it's it, it adds a little bit of... Maybe that's why they put it into... Adds, like, a connection to someone he loved. But the thing is, it's a good point because it, the story doesn't really change if you take it away. If you take away their past romance doesn't change the story i think at all so i think that it was kind of unnecessary but i'm just glad they didn't make it like a hollywoodized romance absolutely agree now while this whole film's taking place just like in born identity and just like in born supremacy where jason keeps having those memories of that berlin hit where it was the the murder-suicide framing of neski and his wife in ultimatum he's now having all these memories of the source of his training of Him entering Treadstone and committing to the program, these faces he doesn't recognize. He's trying to find out who this older guy is that's standing next to Neil Daniels. Who is this man? Whose voice I see, whose face I see. These memories of my original training until the memories get larger and connect more and more. He remembers more and more and more throughout the course of the film until we get those horrible sequences of him being drowned by torture and the envi- the behavioral experimentation being done on him and then him being forced to execute somebody as a part of graduating an initiation into the program, being the first Treadstone agents. Although their flashbacks, n- Matt is significantly older than he was in 2001 in this movie. Yeah, yeah. He's a, he's a lot obviously he's thinner and slimmer in Born Identity than he is. Yeah, boyish look still in so Born Identity. You just gotta yeah. kind of accept it for what it is yeah. because they shot Born Identity in 2001, and this sh- is before they had the, the technology to DH. Yeah, like and yeah. It, I wouldn't even want them to DH. I it, would. It's honest. fine. Yeah. You just accept it for what it is. They did their best with makeup and stuff like that, so it's fine. You know, suspension of disbelief but it's really interesting to see the training facilities it's in New York City we find out later on it's just like in these office buildings and of course it's there it's right hiding in plain sight of, of the biggest metropolitan in the United States yeah but but I find it just it's a great approach to showcase the 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 time in which he was stripped of his humanity stripped of his humanity identity, his morality, his empathy and his consciousness like that's what really changed him. And so I love this film and how it it approaches finding out the source of that and how it ties to his character completely. I think it was the perfect set of memories to initiate the story. Because him being broken down mentally and losing his identity of David Webb becoming Jason Bourne, that's what caused such such a horrible case of amnesia, forgetting who he was because his mind was so broken. And he has to, for three movies... Followed this trail of breadcrumbs of his memories, connecting these dots to start remembering everything. And by the third act of this film, when he's finally at S.R.D. in New York City, in the facility where he was originally trained in the Treadstone pro- in the Treadstone program, that's when he finally gets all of his memories back. And when he's talking to Albert Hirsch, and Albert Hirsch, he's no, now you remember, you remember everything now, Jason. His memories. Fully intact now, and he remembers who he was, what he was, and he doesn't want to be this person anymore. He no longer wants to be Jason Bourne. Yeah, it's character evolution. It's just terrific, and it's the perfect fitting ending. Well, it could have been. <laughs> <laughs> it was. <laughs> but then, and then this movie, because it has great set pieces and then great character, emotional, and plot devices for, of storytelling in between. But then this leads into Morocco, which is the highlight of the film and i would say the highlight of the entire franchise we have this remarkable 15-minute morocco se- sequence in tangier nikki and, and jason go to tangier to find daniels who is hiding out in a hotel there while also the cia is on his trail as well they send Desh as their asset to execute daniels and nikki and jason born so we've got a lot on this plate <laughs> uh, poor, poor Desh, that's a lot to do that's a lot to handle <laughs> but the morocco sequence i think is special it's massive in scale it's so exciting foot chase rooftop chase more motorbike chase we got so many elements that we've seen repeated in major action movies nowadays but this really was a standout and a pillar of what you can do in action with all the right sources of income with basically all the elements a filmmaker would need at their disposal it's incredible and it's a beautiful city beautiful landscapes beautiful practical filmmaking obviously Matt Damon is not really jumping through the windows and stuff like that. Oh my God. It's so good. The window j- glass breaking is CGI for sure. But I mean, he's really jumping balconies. Yeah. He, he did a couple of them for real. Yeah. The shot they, they, cause they shot one where he land, they shot from inside one of the rooms he lands in. And it's actually Damon. Cause it's a long take of him jumping into the room. He's like slides across the floor. Then he like runs through the bedroom and enters through the hallway. And it's really Matt doing that. Obviously it, was really, wired and with yeah padding. but like he really did do some of that but they yeah. they did have real stunt people doing a bunch of those jumps but those are so incredible like when i see those jumps and john powell's music is going i'm just like fuck yeah let's go choo, 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 oh choo, my choo, god choo, choo, choo. it's so good yeah it's, it's incredible so good. jumping balcony to balcony he's flying on, on r- rooftops he's <laughs> <laughs> reference bro your references are out of control batman begins it, but the whole sequence it's great because the moscow wind up foot chase to car chase in the Bourne supremacy is incredible when it starts on the foot chase of kirill chasing Bourne, then they switch to cars sensational it's like 10 minutes this just upped the ante because now we have three people involved because nikki's part of this entire sequence as well dash on a motorcycle jason Bourne on a dirt bike hopping fences and stuff like that jumping walls it's really incredible All captured in camera, which is incredible. But then Nikki being tailed by Desh through the market. Like you said, actual markets, they couldn't shut them down for filming. So it's real people, real extras that obviously weren't paid or hired or anything. So it adds so much authenticity to the sequence. (laughs) And also before this... Desh did el- eliminate Daniels, assassinated him with the car bomb, which was really clever because he saw Jason Bourne was on his tail, and he got that incoming message that you know. What's funny, Treadstone agents always just get a photo of someone <laughs> they're supposed to take out. It's like, all right, good luck finding them. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like a Wild West bounty hunter. Like, hey, here's a here's a po- here's a photo of them. No, I'm sure they get more information. That's just what the screens show yeah, as, you yeah, know, yeah, That's what we yeah, see yeah, as an audience. Yeah. So it's just a, just a funny <laughs> joke. But uh, <laughs> it's a funny joke. But he knows. That that Bourne's trailing him, and he cleverly two birds with one stone tosses <laughs> that bag and then leaves the bomb, the device in, on the scooter, which he leaves behind. And Born stops Daniels right at the scooter because he's worried about him passing the bag, thinking the bag's the bomb. But Desh is like, nah, bro, it's the scooter. Bam! Boom! <laughs> See you later. And then tracking Nikki. It's almost like a horror movie, Nikki hiding out in the ro- it's in the great. apartments and then the rooftop. Yeah born on the rooftop being chased by the police um i love the sequence where he grabs the towels to oh God, wrap his so hands cool. to protect himself from jumping the balconies with the broken glass the balcony jumping was absolutely incredible, going through all those apartments. And then the fight with Desh is sensational. But it's, it's good comedy because he jumps into one room and there's like a guy curling barbells. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, it's funny. Oh my, it's such propulsive, great action. And the the fight scene's awesome between Desh and Born because even- Born is clearly the most superior Treadstone agent ever created. But Desh is- Larger, stronger, and more physically fit, younger. So he's a, a tough opponent for Jason Bourne. Jason almost loses to him a few times, but yeah. great fight sequence in terms of using things in their environment. Towels, he uses that book a few times, and eventually chokes Desh out in the bathroom. But it's, it's such a great fight, and Desh is just maybe the toughest opponent he's ever had to fight one-on-one. I love that fight, especially when Jacob... I mean, when Jason... <laughs> Jacob Bourne! <laughs> Jacob Bourne. <laughs> <laughs> especially when Jason... Uh, twists his arm backwards and then Desch does, does a fucking backflip out of it. <laughs> it's great. It's like, oh my god. What am I going to do? <laughs> it's, it's awesome. I I love that fight. It's intense, it's brutal, and it's so realistic. And I love how Nikki gets involved like and she just like grabs him by the mouth to just try and get some to help him out Jason out somehow. It's a terrific fight. It, it, it I just love that one. I think it's the best of the franchise. And they're fortunately able to buy themselves some time because after they kill uh Desch because Nikki knows the protocol, he has Nikki key in that the targets have been eliminated. Buys them some time until they can verify the deaths of Jason Bourne and Nikki Parsons, which Vosen wants to do, but they're able to escape and get away and get a head start again. Hey, now, this is, this is Dash. I killed Jason. I got him, guys. <laughs> Smiley face. Thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> He's dead. <laughs> Takes a selfie at their bodies. <laughs> Here, put some ketchup on your face, Jason. It'll look like you're, you're bleeding. But uh, now Pam is starting to work behind Vosin's back. <laughs> Fucking ketchup. <laughs> kind of communicating with Jason Bourne as well. And now Vosin is starting to follow Pam Landy because... Jason calls Pam at the office in New York City. He, he's made it to New York, and he used that passport that was inside the box, but also he got rid of Didn't get rid of her. He said, canceled he said, sent- and sent her away. <laughs> was, she a her piece- per- was she a, pack- <laughs> a package, Anthony? You just throw her away? <laughs> That's not... Man. I just I worded it, I worded it, it horribly. <laughs> and now you're canceled. You lost your job. Does anyone <laughs> want Anthony's position? As co-host... <laughs> So Nikki goes on her way of being a ghost just like Jason (laughs) Bourne was. It gets easier. But Bourne being (laughs) on mainland in the United States is so crazy to see because he hasn't been here the entire trilogy yet. He's back in New York in New York City. Back, baby. I'm back in the big apple. <laughs> <laughs> who wants to go out? <laughs> hit me up. I'm back in Bubble New York shrimp anyone? <laughs> I'm paying. <laughs> he, Facebook says, I'm back, hit me up. <laughs> <laughs> JB's in the house. <laughs> but he, he calls Pam Landy, who is starting to work behind Vosin's back with kind of her assistance. And then Vosin starts to track Pam Landy and her call with Jason Bourne. Then they're starting to track Pam Landy because Bourne has, asks her to meet him in Tudor City, which was all a giant ruse. And because Vosin is not really sharp, he doesn't understand that this is all going to be a setup because Bourne was spying on him as well. And he just needed him to get out of the office so that he could go into... Vosin's safe to get the Blackbriar files. If you were in your office, we'd be having this conversation face to face. (laughs) (laughs) Although, I will say, when he calls, he, he calls Vosin to get the voice of Noah Vosin to open the safe. Yeah. Wicked clever. Yeah. And then he gets the files. <laughs> but awesome but guy. I mean, like to say, oh, also I'm in your office. Peace, bitch. <laughs> like, he doesn't have to. Fuck s- it. <laughs> if he doesn't say that, no one knows he's there. Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so cool for a trailer. It's so cool. It's so cool for the plot because they have to get the plot moving again. Yeah. Of course, it's kind of a loophole. Like, why would Jason tell them where he is? Because fuck it. Fuck, fuck it. <laughs> So then the chase ensues, <laughs> because if he didn't say he would just leave and just go home. He would go to he'd go to to the and to, to, to 415 East yeah. 71st Street. Yeah, he'd go there. Nobody would know. The, nobody be more the wiser. <laughs> so that's my one con in the movie is like if Jason didn't say anything, he would have gotten there no problem. But it's so cool. But Pam Landy sent him the code of the. Of the address, but they still for- would have gone to the. Co- they still would have gotten the code. Probably, yeah. And so eventually, it doesn't really change anything. Yeah, eventually, it was yeah. exciting, yeah, though. It was a badass it's thing. It's so cool. To, it's super cool to do on the phone. <laughs> but Pam sent him the code of the address for S.R.D., which is 415 East 71st Street, New York City, where Treadstone is, Blackbriar is right now, because she tells him again, "Your name." Like they had this conversation last film, but Noah Vosin doesn't know that, so she's doing it. Hey, just so you know, your name's David Webb. That's why when you're watching this, you're like, oh, didn't they already do this conversation? You're, you were born four fifteen seventy one. 1571. That's code of you should go to this address, basically. So, yeah. and born super intelligent. He knows the code. And then we get another terrific uh, car chase, but this time in New York City. And it's super exciting. The car you don't really see that many car chases in Manhattan. The logistics is probably a nightmare. Yeah, because you'll see, you'll get you'll get car chases in different parts of New York, less populated areas like Brooklyn. You'll get plenty of car chases, but like in the heart of Manhattan, it's so cool to see. And it was actually pretty difficult for them to film this. They could only hit the cars at a top speed of thirty miles per hour because of safety standards with the police and the people in charge of New York City's traffic, so they wouldn't let them drive faster than 30 miles per hour. But the filmmakers did an amazing job getting around that because it doesn't look like it on screen. It looks like they're really hitting the pedal to the metal, so kudos to them for getting around that barrier in front of them because... It's challenging to make a car chase where you can't drive that fast, but they pulled it off. And I love when, when Jason gets inside the police cruiser because he's always driving like taxis or Mini yeah. Coopers, but now he's in like a supercharged V8 vehicle, and like let's see what Jason Bourne can do with this thing. And it's so great because this one's a, a unique car chase because he's got a bigger car, a faster car. He's also using it to his advantage in terms of using the trunk of the car to ram into vehicles. Yeah, and I love the ramming. Up. So he's using it as but, like an offensive tool. But first, the parking lot. Yeah yeah the, the parking, parking lot awesome. where he's the agents are swarming him on the on the roof of a parking lot several stories high and then he gets into a car, hot-wires it, and then backs it off the roof, and one of the agents goes, Oh, he drove off the roof. He's flying <laughs> on rooftops! <laughs> <laughs> but man, when that car lands and hit it on its back, I'm like, Oh my god, I felt that! I feel it! He's being chased by Pats again, played by Edgar Ramirez, another, the uh, the new Treadstone agent, or Blackfriar agent, I mean. And another great sequence involved with them two going neck and neck, just like he did with Carl Urban's character, Kirill in the last film. And it ends again similarly with a kind of T-bone crash up uh, a barrier where he lead, where Paz survives. He's in the driver's seat, and Jason can take him out. But he chooses not to, and you can kind of see the look in Paz's face is like, why why didn't he just kill me? Which leads to later on in the film where Paz decides not to pull the trigger on Jason Bourne when he's on the rooftop with him when he has him at the edge of the roof. And he says, Ask him, why didn't you pull the trigger? And you brought up last episode how it ties into the first film where before he killed the professor played by Clive Owen at the farmhouse, the professor says to him, look what they make you give. And then he says that same line to Pat's. Jason Bourne says to him, look what they make you give. Yeah. Look at us. It's terif- a terrific connection to the first film. I, I love it. But obviously, Jason Bourne does make it to Blackbriar headquarters. Once everyone figures out what Jason's plan is, uh, Vossen basically gives him the green light to let him in because then they can trap him, basically. And this is where Albert Finney... Albert Finney is just like, a terrific veteran actor. And having him as Albert, Cur- Albert Hirsch was just brilliant. Him and Matt Damon are excellent. This is a terrific scene. And he understands that Jason wants to know what's happening, so he's able to really milk the time that Jason's there. And we get to learn that Jason chose this program. He volunteered, and also, in order to basically pass through and begin training, he had to kill a man whose face was covered, whom Jason didn't know what he did or if he was being punished or if this guy was innocent but he had to kill this nameless person and that was uh, an instrumental part of stripping him of his humanity and we saw that and then at this point Jason he's finally able to connect dots he's finally getting his memory back and then he eventually at one point in this film he does say he remembers everything I'm no executioner yeah you have to do it yeah no that's a Batman begins reference <laughs> Razagul <al> <laughs> League of Shadows my God <laughs> I got it. I'm got sorry, it. my friend. What are you doing? <laughs> what needs to be done? <laughs> I will tell him you saved his life. Yeah, it's it's really incredible to see in a revelation for Jason to realize that he did choose this path. He volunteered. He did think he, – he tried to blame it on Albert Hurst saying, you said I'd be saving American lives. And Albert Hurst said, you knew exactly what you were going to be doing here. This is part of the program, and you chose this – and now Jason doesn't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be Jason Bourne anymore. It's really incredible. But before he enters the building, and most importantly, he gives Pam Landy all of the files on Blackbriar, which she immediately photocopies and sends to somebody. And Vosa was like, "Gonna fucking kill her." I was surprised he didn't shoot her. <laughs> yeah, he, it looked like he was about to kill her. Like so, he, he was he, like moving through the office, like we're gonna shoot there. Give me that gun. Kill- I'll handle Landy. <laughs> 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 like you gonna kill your coworker? <laughs> But it's an incredible ending, and obviously he's on the roof of the building escaping, and pass, has him cornered. Again, like I said, lets him go. But Vosen does get a shot off, and we think that Jason Bourne gets shot while he's jumping off the roof because when he falls into the water, that great silhouette shot that is a calling card to the opening shot of the first film when he's in the ocean after being shot. I'm glad you made that connection. Thanks, pal. Thanks, pal. You think he's dead, but it's Jason Bourne. And then Moby plays. (laughs) But of course, we learn on the news that Ezra Kramer's under investigation being arrested. So is in Vosin and also Jason Bourne, who is presumed to be dead, shot off the building. The body has not been found for three days. And then Nikki smiles. (laughs) (laughs) A great attention to detail is the the swimming stroke that Jason Uses at the end when he swims away is a variant of the combat side stroke, combining a breaststroke arm pull with a scissor leg kick. The combat side stroke was developed by and is taught by U.S. Navy SEALs. Why? Why is it like that? You think maybe he got shot in the arm or something and couldn't use it? Um, I'm not sure. What's it called? Know. Combat strike po- uh, stroke. Combat. Combat side stroke. Side stroke. I wonder. I wonder what the significance is that for here. It might be um a way uh, if you're in uh, confle- conflict. So it allows you to swim more efficiently and reduces your body's profile in the water thereby making you less visible during combat operations when surface swimming is required. Oh, perfect. There we go. The attention to detail, that's great, isn't that? Because really is. like I mean every other film would probably just be like him swimming away like just swim away, Matt, whatever. But like to put the attention to detail and make sure he does the correct stroke uh, someone who's trained would do. I think that's awesome. That's so cool. Incredible conclusion to an incredible trilogy that they never made any other movies about. Yeah, I'm so glad they stopped here. It's <laughs> a great time to stop because they really tied it together. There's really no reason to make any more, so I'm glad that uh, Universal was like, yeah, let's stop. So which of the three movies in the Jason Bourne trilogy, The Bourne Identity, The Bourne Supremacy, and The Bourne Ultimatum is your favorite? And actually, how would you rank them, Anthony? It's tough to rank them. <clears throat> There's no wrong answer. That's the thing. Oh my god. Um, hold on. I, I actually, this is tough. <sighs> I'm I'm having a tough job doing it right now in my I, head. I actually I'm thinking about it more. I think Supremacy might be my favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Ultimatum has the best action sequences. Uh, identity has gr- the great emotional stakes and obviously the mystery. Man, it's so hard to fucking rank these. It Um, really is, because the Born Identity has the best opening. Oh, by far. That first 30 minutes is sensational. Um, I gotta say... Man, if I'm gonna rank them... (laughs) Supremacy, Ultimatum, Identity. Wow, Identity Last. But I love them all. It's like... So why do you hate Born Identity? (laughs) Like, why is it the worst one? (laughs) Just kidding. There's no worst of these movies. <laughs> no it's a, i respect that say it again supremacy ultimatum, ultimatum identity. identity i like that man I, but i don't i don't like saying that though i don't like uh, maybe i maybe i like identity the most i don't know i think I don't I, know. my immediate instincts right now after doing three episodes on them three days in a row and then also just watching the trilogy recently for the 78th time <laughs> based on the first half of For identity i think i'm gonna put that number one for me right now. And then Supremacy number two, and then Ultimatum number three. Mm-hmm. I, I think. But then tomorrow it could be different. Because yesterday, remember, I said, I think Supremacy is my favorite. Yeah. But now, sitting here right now, after talking about them all, I think Identity is my number one. I I love Identity. I really do. But I just think that the second half, the second halves of Supremacy and Ultimatum are so epic. The third act of Identity is the worst third act yeah, of them all, I, I think. Would, but not, not saying it's worse. the worst. It's, it's just the- It's very small. Yeah. I because I they really did a phenomenal job with the larger scale and scope and it just got fantastic. Uh, Supremacy has the best car chase, Ulti- and foot chases. Well, no, no, I am saying it has the best car chase, but uh, Ultimatum has the best foot chase in Tangier. Um, and then the best fight is in Ultimatum against Dash. Old uh, Ult- uh, Identity has. Um, but, I mean, the car chasing identity is awesome, too. Fuck, I don't know. I don't know how to rank them. Or maybe, maybe I'll go supremacy identity. <laughs> Everyone's ultimatum. like, can they just fucking make up their I minds? Can, I, don't see, I don't know if I can. <laughs> I don't it's know tough. if I can either. They're all so good, but yeah. that's the rarity of this trilogy is every movie is equally as good as the other. If not, Like, it gets better with the entire trilogy with, with each film, but they're kind of just irreplaceable, <clears throat> and you can just pop them anywhere in any top three rankings. But... I, it's tough. I yeah, can, it's I'm tough. changing it in my head right now yeah, again. I don't, I don't feel confident. Like, I, I can't, can do any other trilogy, no problem. I think I can say confidently, though, that Ultimatum's not my favorite. Uh-huh. I think it's just between identity and space. Why is Ultimatum not your favorite? I think that. So, why do you hate Ultimatum? <laughs> coming to New York City. <laughs> I know it's a great <laughs> conclusion. Feeling it? I just love being in Europe and other countries. <laughs> yeah, but how's he going to no, find his beginnings I know, if, he's, if it's not in America? I'm where just, else would know, it be? I know, I know, I know. I don't know. I don't know why. You just hate New York. I don't know why, <laughs> but I think that would be my number two or three. But man, I mean, the wireless station, but the Tangier sequence, man, oh my god, it's so good. It's so goddamn it be good. It might be because Ultimatum's the fastest paced. It is, it is the fastest Right. I like how the first two, they're kind of slow openings in a way, mm. you know, we're slowly getting into it. <laughs> It's tough. I mean, we can talk about an hour of ranking them, but I think, I think I'm think i just going to go... It would just be an hour of us not deciding. <laughs> it's already been 10 minutes of it. <laughs> oh, man. All right, you got anything else on Ultimatum or the trilogy in general? I have some fun facts. Bro, I freaking love fun facts. <laughs> this fucking guy. Hold on, sorry. I pulled up your page. One second. Looking for my intermission answers, even though we didn't do it this episode. I never need to. every time you you're about to say a fact (laughs) shut up shut up all right (laughs) I got one so the cafe in Tangier that Nikki Parsons chooses at a meeting place is the cafe de Paris which was a popular haunt of spies and emissaries During Tangier's emissaries emissaries, (laughs) during Tangier's years years as an international city. (laughs) Sorry. Unlike the James Bond franchise, all of the devices that Jason Bourne uses are real and can be purchased by the average person. Which I love. It's not like this tech that no one has access to. You know what I mean? Where do you get a cell phone, though? (laughs) (laughs) Get out of here. (laughs) Matt Damon accidentally knocked out Tim Griffin, who played the CIA interrogator in Bourne Supremacy during the scene in the consulate when Bourne takes him and a security guard down after being captured. This is only... Ultimatum is also the only Bourne movie to win Oscars. Academy Awards won three. There it is. (laughs) In the middle of "Born Supremacy," when Bourne calls Pamela Landy from the rooftop, a voice is heard in her office saying that they need 90 seconds to triangulate his position. Bourne disconnects the call exactly 88 seconds later. Very cool. Very cool. Very very cool. Uh, let me see. I have a. Uh, uh, oh, you, you tried not to do it. I heard <laughs> it's just a habit. Uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> so um like you said earlier damon actually while they were filming this they took some time to film uh a a shot of matt damon in oceans 13 while he's on a phone in london oceans 12 oceans no oceans 13 2007 oceans 13 oceans 13 yeah that's what it says on imdb oh really It says oceans 13 came out in 2007 is what it says it might be wrong i'm trying to think of so oceans 12 was oh one but Ocean's 12 is in Europe. Yeah, but this is in London. Yeah. Ocean 13. Who's, uh, Which scene is in London in Ocean's 13? I'm trying to think. Ocean's 13. London. You sound like you're from London. Let's see. Ocean's 13, London. Born Ultimatum was voted as the movie of the year in 2007 by Empire Magazine. It is also Pawn Greengrass's second work in two consecutive years to be voted as movie of the year by Empire Magazine, the previous film was united 93 which came out in 2006 yes yeah, it's, it's it's oceans 13 2007 yeah. you're right yeah it's linus on the phone yeah cool old movies really old yeah man got anything else i, I love this movie i think <laughs> it's i think it's a really perfect movie <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in to Born Week at Raiders Week. of the Lost Podcast. Again, if you missed it, we did the Born, uh, the Born Identity on Thursday, The Born Supremacy on Friday, yesterday, and then The Born Ultimatum today. We love this trilogy so much. Some of the best action movies of all time, especially this century. Helped influence so many of the movies you love that have come out in the last 10 or 15 years. Thanks for, so much for tuning in. Be sure to become a patron today at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. We have five different tiers. $2, $5, $10, $25, and $100. That $10 tier is special because that's the minimum requirement to be get to get access to our Discord server where there's like 130 people on there chatting all the time. 150 yeah. people. Holy crap. So if you want access to our Discord, you gotta be a minimum of $10. But we're still very grateful for anyone who supports us in the $2, $5 range. Take care, everybody. Have a wonderful day, and hope you enjoyed this Born Week as much as we did. <laughs> <laughs> <away to> <laughs> this episode of Raiders of the Lost Podcast was executive produced by our chosen one patrons. Luke Exelston, Tyler McFly, Darren Singleton, Anthony DeMeo, Becca Keen, Cody Moen, Benjamin Cook, Calvin Cam, and Chandler Johnson. Thank you so much for supporting our show. Raiders of the Lost Podcast is a Mirror Image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.